Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you've just tuned in for the first time and you say That's Truth, I'm not familiar with the program, it is a live interactive call-in program. There's a number of ways you can interact with us. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and thank you for those who are listening this evening. Pastor Murphy. We have a number of questions that have come in since the program last week, so we will address those questions, and then we'll jump back into our topic of Bible mysteries that we were discussing last week. The first question that has come in is, Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest, which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. That is Joshua chapter 4 and verse 9 from the King James Version. The question is, based on this verse, where on earth can these stones be seen today? Well, I think the person who um, asked the question probably is um, not aware of what the writer um, wrote, and if he was aware of it, he's probably not thinking as clear as he should. It's, uh, when Joshua wrote, the, when the book was written, uh, and they talked about the stones were there until this day, it was until the day that, when that book was written. It doesn't mean until today. Uh, so that is the interpretation of that particular passage. And the Israelites would have known uh, exactly where that location was because they're the ones that came across. We are not privy to that information, but it's not. Uh, we must not assume that because Joshua said it there until that day, this day, uh, that it means until the 21st century. He's referring to the fact that when the book was written and completed, uh, Israel would have been able to go back and look at those stones and find where those stones were. But uh, so much time has passed between now and then, we don't even know that the contours even of the Jordan River are the same. So it's not a reference to today. It's a reference to the, at the time when the book was written, when Israel was around, uh, they would have been able to verify that the crossing took place because the stones would have been there for them to, to discover if they wanted to. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. The next question says, Greetings, brother. Sometime back I wrote to you and asked about, did you think the whole pandemic was a calculated thing so that the demonic force could get to where they want to go? And after listening to your answer in my mind, you beat around the bush and listened to the recording. I asked this question a second time. Isn't it that the pandemic is a calculated thing? If that's truth, Tell the people the truth and keep focus on Maranatha. Keep focused, Maranatha. Now that there were two videos, and I don't have the audio from it that came with this program. Uh, one of them 
was from Israel, and they were talking about how the vaccine is being required for certain school children and certain uh, traveling and whatever. So the vaccine, some are concerned the vaccine is being forced on them. Pastor, what are your thoughts from a biblical perspective? Well, when the guy asked a question, I mean, I can only respond based on the information I have. Uh, as far as I am concerned, I, I do feel, uh, and this is my own general feeling on the whole matter, I do feel that this was probably something uh, that could be deliberate, but not demonic. Uh, I do believe that it is possible for the Chinese uh, government to release this thing. You can't trust communists, okay? Uh, you must be, always remember that you just can't trust. They don't have any morality. Uh, and we all know that uh, from the knowledge that we have that it did come from some lab uh, there is some suspicion that it was actually tampered with. There's a Chinese uh, doctor that defected to the West. Uh, you can get her on YouTube. Uh, she actually said it was actually deliberately um, released and that it was tampered with. So I, I, I accept that, to be very honest with you, but I don't have the the evidence. Who went over and uh, carried a contingency of, of people to investigate? And, of course, the Chinese limited their access to the area, the Wuhan area. So there's no way you can actually um, verify and prove it. But all the indications are is that it was actually, it came from Wuhan. We know that Chinese not stopped the people from Wuhan from traveling within China, but then allowed the world to have access to that area so that the virus might have spread. Remember also at this point in time, the American economy was the best it has ever been in this world, in, the, in its history. You had unemployment down to t- 3%. It was at this particular juncture and of course the thought was that uh, one day China would have outstripped America and they projected a certain amount of years and then when the economy was so booming and of course they had a trade agreement with um, China and also they were able to put things in place that would stop the Chinese from stealing the the data uh, American uh, business data Um, all of that was going in America's favor and then suddenly this thing hit and plummeted the American economy so it is a possibility that this was something planned, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not there to know all the facts, et cetera, et cetera. What I was concerned about in the video is that the guy uh, seemed to claim that he's a prophet. He said he prophesied that something like this would happen some years ago, and now it's come to pass. I, I don't believe there are any real prophets today. The Word of God is complete. Uh, we've got preachers, but not prophets. So that kind of put me a little bit back to hear him talk as though he's a prophet. There's so many of these guys claiming to be prophets. Look how many of them failed with the Donald Trump thing. How many of them have lost virtually their ministries? How many have prophesied he would have a second term and then look what has happened? The other thing is that I think he was concerned about is that um, in Israel, uh, it seems as though Netanyahu has put a lot of pressure and it's almost becoming mandatory that a person take the, the, um, the, the vaccine. Um, and he seemed to think that this is some kind of an imposition that is demonic because it is something that's required and demanded. I, I hold a different view on this matter. Um, you must remember that Israel is a population of only 9 million people. She's surrounded by uh, Arabs that hate her and Muslims that hate her of 291 million people. That means that the, the population of Israel is, is uh, outdone by 31 times more people than Arabs than you've got, um, you got Israelis. You can very, very well see that if I was the prime minister, I'd be very concerned about losing a, a large part of my population, being surrounded by so many enemies. I mean, how do you compare 9 million with 291 million? You think about that for just a moment. So I can see why he would be concerned that if he would lose a sizable part of the population, how that would put Israel in a precarious position, especially militarily. 
So I don't see it as something that is demonic. I think it is something that a government is acting responsible and very concerned about its population, especially in lieu of the fact it's surrounded by all these enemies who are claiming to wipe, wipe Israel off the map, and if they can't wipe Israel, they're not to push her into the sea. So I think he's very concerned about that, and therefore he's trying to reduce the loss of life in his population. I think America has gone past 500,000 uh, people at, at this moment. Just think about what, what that could mean to other, other countries. America has 370 million uh, population. Israel only has 9, nine million. Uh, you can't afford to lose, and if you lose your generals and lose strategic people who are in the, uh, the technology and in medicine, et cetera, et cetera, agriculture, et cetera, et cetera, what are you going to do? So I don't see it as demonic. I just see it as um, a prime minister being prudent and trying to take measures to put in place to make sure he doesn't lose a, a vast part of his population. Thank you for that question. Thank you for the questions that have come in thus far. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 740. The name of the program is That's Truth. It's a live interactive call-in program here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. And there are a number of ways that you can communicate with us. You can call and be put live on the air. And the phone number to call is 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one 782 one four five four. Pastor, the next question comes from Montserrat. In the flood, all living men and creatures drowned. Haven't read anything about the fishes. Could they have drowned in their habitat? Well, I, I think if, uh, if you think about it um, thoughtfully, you would see there's no need really to uh, preserve the fish because the fish are already in the sea. And the water is going to come from the, the the land into the sea. All that can do is add more water to the sea, basically. So I don't see any danger uh, to the fish. Uh, and, you know, so I, I think that is that's a given that there was no need um, for Noah to take, a, put an aquarium, for example, in the ark. Uh, I don't think that would be necessary because, uh, as I said, it's like you having a, a flood here in Antigua and, it, and the flood even covers the whole island. How does that affect the sea? It only adds water to the sea and probably uh, helps the, the fish uh, better. So I don't think there was any need for that in this case. Pastor, we have a caller from Montserrat. Please go ahead with your question and thank you for calling. Hello, good night, um, Brother Nate. Good night. Thank you for calling. Good night, Pastor Murphy. Good evening, sir. How are you doing? Not too bad. Um, Brother Nate, let me, let, me, let, me, let me deal with you first, and then we go to Pastor Murphy. Um, you got one, one program, the um, Higher Ground. Yes. Brother Nate? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you come in, broke up just now. Um, talk again. Yeah, we have a program, Higher Ground, with Pastor Scott Hester out of Key West, Florida. Right. Um... 1992, I journeyed to QS. Um, the same time with the Barcelona Olympics and Pentecostal then. But maybe want to go there one one assembly. So maybe on Stack Island, right? Robbie's Marina. So that that was the closest. So I visit that assembly. Okay. At the time it was Maris Wright. Was the, was the pastor there then. All right. Interesting connection. Yes. So um, the next time you, you talk, uh, I'll be listening. And just in case uh, I know that you, you and um, the pastor will have a talk, right? All right. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. Um, pastor Murphy. Yes, sir. 
I'm with you now. Um, may go back not choose again, the other choose. Uh huh. And Mr. Cajunton calling. Right. And you ask Mr. Cajunton a question. Mm hmm. Out of Jesus and Mary, uh -huh. which one will help you the more? Uh huh. You remember that? Yeah, I remember the question. Okay. Um, the question was the frame wrong. Okay. You frame the question wrong. Uh huh. Uh, let me give some example and then maybe if if according to the situation, uh -huh. one rich man can help one situation better than the poor man. According to the situation, one strong man will help one the situation better than the weak man. Yeah. But in this case, Mary can't help at all. I agree with that. I agree with that. So then, you should use which one can help, yeah. not more. Yeah, yeah. But you've right? got, you got uh, if I might interject here for just a second, you know, you've got to understand the person I'm dealing with. Uh, you know, I, I try to be as courteous as possible, not as offensive. As, you can be too abrasive. I don't want to be too abrasive in dealing with him. He's a, I think he's searching. I really think he's searching. I think he's, I don't think he's, no, yeah, me, go ahead. Um, me, me, me go come right there. Me go come right there. Okay, go ahead. The call tonight, I really for help you out. Uh-huh. But me just want to correct the part there. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I appreciate right. that. I appreciate okay. that. No. Back in the days when, when the nation may have one priest, may have to present the holies of holies. Repeat that back again. The, no, back, back in the day when um, the priest, when, when. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh -huh. After the death, the, the death of Jesus, the barrier that went down. So now you got the right to go straight to the Father in the name of the Son. Right, right. Right? Yes. Now, if you have to use somebody else, okay, let me use figure it If, if me, if me can come to you, uh -huh. and we have to go to burden it, you only tell me that something not right between me and you. So he said, no, you know that you and Brother Nate is very good. So we go to Brother Nate and say, Brother Nate, just after you. Yeah. Which is, you deal with God now. Uh -huh. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Correct. Right or wrong? No, you're correct. You're correct. Okay. When you come to God, you come by faith. Correct. So then I'm there for... If you have to know who use somebody else, you only just tell me clean, you know, please God. Yeah, yeah. Make, makes right? sense. It makes sense. It makes sense. But, you know, you've got to remember that, you know, a lot of these folks, I must be very honest with you, the, the teaching that they receive, remember this, I don't know how old this gentleman is, but he's probably in his 60s. And I suspect if he was brought up in a system where he's been taught this and indoctrinated for so many years, his mom, his grandmother, whatever it is, uh, it is very, very difficult to bring people out of that situation. Oh, okay, just wait. Let, 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 me, let me help you out tonight. Let me help you out tonight. Okay. He probably might come out tonight. Because at least the 
first call when he said that um, Dave is not going to see on and call him. You notice that the language is changed. You notice? Yeah, go ahead. Right. Now, dealing, dealing with Mary is like you go there one, see on her own home. Mm-hmm. And the next dead that's ready to be buried. You said to the dead, listen, when the undertaker come, tell the undertaker that they call me urgently. Uh-huh. You find that couple days gone, you hear the dead bury, the undertaker never call you. Uh-huh. You're going to find a mess? Talking to Mary is like you're talking to the dead. We can't respond to your tongue. Right. Well, I agree with that. I, I endorse those sentiments. I, I yes. think there's only you one. Know, he he said that he's going to go and cause what he wants to do now, you know. You buy the right. If you add, you sin. And if you take away, you sin. Mm-hmm. To me, he, lo- he, he like you want to create one of the little, little literature open on the Bible, which in, it can't work. Yeah, it can't work. But it ag- cannot work. Yeah, but again, and, sorry. And why he, why he, so, he said he ever look, but he ever look for, for prove it by him. Yeah. But the Bible will never prove him because he can't find nothing like what he wants. Correct, correct. Like, like what he wants, like what he wants to do. It's not so there. The next time that you want to talk, just, just do this for me, please, because you see, we can interact. You, you do the interaction. Mm. And then make a finish with this, you know. Listen. Mary say anything that the son say, do it. Do it, correct. Right. The son say, when you pray, say, give me the two first words and not the last prayer. Our Father. Father. Mm-hmm. He did not say, Our Mary, our Queen, our Mother. Right, correct. You with me? Yeah, I'm with you. Long time. Exactly. So, Okay. okay Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Bye. Thank you very much for the call, and we are thankful for each and every call that we get and each and every perspective. And let us remember that the most important reference point, the only unchangeable reference point in this day and age or in all of eternity on this planet Earth is God's Word. And it's amazing, Pastor, that I know you have many more copies of God's Word than I do, but just in my office, a couple rooms over, I have three or four different Bibles, and with our fingertips, we can type and go to the Internet and find many, many different Bibles. And it's amazing that God has given us the blessing to have His uh, His inspired Word at our resources here in the year 2021. Agree with that. the The biggest problem we are faced with, though, uh, Nathan, is is not that we don't have Bibles in the home. The fact is that those Bibles are not read. Yeah, and that's the biggest error. That uh, I think it, it's really, really sad um, that he was given. God has given us His treasure, and we treat it so uh, scantily. So, if you have a question, no matter what it is, maybe it. Uh, may seem off the wall. That's not a problem. Uh, give us a call. Send it in. We would be glad to answer it from a biblical perspective. Pastor, this next question comes from a listener in Antigua, and it is in reference to a—I'm going to give a little background and then play some audio. It pertains to a video of a father 
from the state of Missouri in the U.S. who is testifying about his transgender child. Mm -hmm. Uh, A little bit of background. The Missouri State High School Association Activities Association allows transgender students to participate in either girls or boys, boys sports, but biologically male students who are transitioning to become female must be on hormone medical treatment for at least one year before participating on a girls' team. The legislature of the state of Missouri is currently debating a bill which has passed one House committee and uh, is awaiting another vote. It proposes a constitutional amendment requiring students to play sports on teams based on their sex assigned at birth. Let me play some of this audio. It's only about three minutes long, and it's uh, to the point. So I'm going to play this, and then I'll ask the question that the listener asked. My name is Brandon Bulware. Uh, I'm a lifelong Missourian. I'm a business lawyer. I'm a Christian. I'm the son of a Methodist minister. I'm a husband. I'm the father of four kids, two boys, two girls, including a wonderful and beautiful transgender uh, daughter who uh, today happens to be her birthday. And uh, I chose to be here. She doesn't know that. She thinks I'm at work. One thing I often hear when transgender issues are discussed is, I don't get it. I don't understand. And I would expect some of you to have said that and feel the same way. I didn't get it either. Uh, For years, I didn't get it. For years, um, I would not let my daughter wear girl clothes. I did not let her play with girl toys. I forced my daughter to wear boy clothes and uh, get short haircuts, play on boy sports teams. Why did I do this? To protect my child. I did not want my daughter or her siblings to get teased. And truth be told, I did it to protect myself as well. I wanted to avoid those inevitable questions uh, as to why my child did not look and act like a boy. My child was miserable. I cannot overstate that. She was absolutely miserable, especially at school. No confidence, no friends, no laughter. I, and I, I honestly say this, I had a child who did not smile. We did that for years. We did that against the advice of teachers, therapists, and other experts. I remember the day everything changed for me. I'd gotten home from work and my daughter and her brother were in the front lawn. And uh, she had, my daughter had sneaked on one of her um, older sister's play dresses. And they wanted to go across the street and play with the neighbor's kids. It was time for dinner. I said, come in. Uh, She asked, can she go across the street? I said, no. She, she asked me if she, if she went inside and put on boy clothes, could she then go across the street and play? And it, it's then that it hit me that my daughter was equating being good with being someone else. I was teaching her to deny who she is. As a parent, the one thing we cannot do, the one thing is silence our child's spirit. And so on that day, my wife and I stopped silencing our child's spirit. The moment we allowed my daughter to be who she is, to grow her hair, to wear the clothes she wanted to wear, she was a different child. And I mean, it was immediate. It was a total transformation. I now have a confident, a smiling, a happy daughter. She plays on a girl's volleyball team. She has friendships. She's a kid. I came here today as a parent to share my story. I need you to understand that this language, if it becomes law, 
will have real effects on real people. It will affect my daughter. It will mean she cannot play on the girls' volleyball team or dance squad or tennis team. I ask you, please don't take that away from my daughter or the countless others like her who are out there. Let them have their childhoods. Let them be who they are. I ask you to vote against this legislation. Again, that is the testimony of a parent of a transgender child from the state of Missouri that is testifying. Uh, Pastor, the first question is, what should a Christian parent do when their child says they are transgender? Well, listen, I have no sympathy with the person who just spoke there. He sounds very emotional, uh, but he's not biblical, he's not scriptural, and he's wrong. But he said he's a Christian pastor. Well, everybody is a Christian today, right? We we must not, uh, I am not here to tell a person who is a Christian who's not a Christian, but I do know this, that a Christian is a person who follows biblical principles. And if, if uh, and, and you know, he made a statement there, uh, you, you must not tell her to deny herself. Well, the Bible says you must deny yourself. So what yeah. are you saying, sir? I th- I understand your pain. I can hear your pain in your voice, but I really think that you're misled in this area. And I would wait until the next 10 or 15 years to really see what your... Ch- if your child was born a boy and you have allowed him to become a girl, wait until 10 or 15 years from now. It's too early for him to be able to, to really assess what is going on. It might seem at this point in time to be confident and having friends, but you wait until he really realizes what has happened to him and you've tolerated it, then you're going to see what the problem is. So it's too soon to make the judgment as far as these matters are concerned. Um, I don't know when you say it's transgender if you've allowed it to take place. You're saying uh, that you have transformed the boy into a girl by going through surgery and hormones. I don't know. I'm assuming that's what he's saying. And again, I think any parent that does that is not only immoral, totally uh, against God and against God's Word. There are only two genders, male and female. That's who God made us to be. It doesn't mean that people may not have inclinations towards uh, a boy, towards being, a, you know, we all, when I was a little boy growing up, I used to dress like a girl too. I thought it was funny. Wear mommy's um, shoes and, and uh, put on this and put on the next. I thought it was funny. Every child somewhat, not every child, a lot of kids go through this kind of thing. There are girls who like to jump with the boys when they're, they're young, etc., etc. Children are not mature enough to make those kind of decisions. That's why they have parents. And when you have godly parents, in spite of the fact that a, a child, you're putting the child against the grain of their natural grain, the natural grain is going astray. Um, past people are born with a sinful nature. And a parent's job from very early is to recognize that a child is going to have their own way going in a certain direction. So it's the parent's responsibility not to tolerate it or to encourage it, but to believe what God said is true and let the Bible be the standard, even if it affects the relationship with your child. You can't be disobeying God uh, for the sake of your child. Uh, you've got this whole thing reversed. It is God first and then people. So make sure that you're holding to biblical principles uh, in this regard. Um, In the video, the father testified and said, the one thing we cannot do as a parent is silence our child's spirit. What does the Bible say about that? Well, the Bible says foolishness bound up in the heart of a child. And the Bible also said the rod would drive it away. I would be interested to know what form of discipline was involved when this thing started to surface. A mistake that a lot of parents make, and I'm going to make this on the radio now, and I may seem as though I'm, I'm, I'm old and archaic, but the time for the rod is early. 
talking is for when they pass 13 or 14, but early what they need is a rod. That's what drives foolishness away from them. Not talking. Talking, 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 talking will never do the job. You're either wiser than God. Uh, if you think you are, you're a fool. But God himself said it's the rod of correction that will drive these things away from kids. So I'm very interested to know what form of discipline was employed uh, when this child started acting uh, feminine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If it was mere talk and mere caressing and mere reprimand, he's made a massive mistake and he's paying for it right now. Look, I am convinced the Bible is true. It's God's word. God knows uh, best. God has told us what he's created. He's created the male and the female. He never created transgender. And is it not appalling that in the 21st century where apostasy is so rampant that this is the exact period of time that this whole thing has now surfaced? How come that for 20 generations, uh, 20 centuries, we didn't have this kind of a problem? Uh, it is clearly uh, something that is novel, something that is new. Uh, and I think it is part of the fact that we've apostatized and gone away from Scripture. We've not practiced discipline in the home, the way the Bible says it should be. And now we're becoming psychologized by the psychologists who's telling us this and telling us that, even though they're going contrary to Scripture. And, um, you know, so I think we're paying the penalty of not following the dictates of Scripture and following what God said. If you have doubts about the Bible, I can understand uh, a person thinking this way. But if you're telling me that you really believe that God's Word is God's Word and God's Word is true and infallible and inerrant, I have a problem with any person with that kind of an attitude that this, this man has just displayed. I don't doubt that he has emotion, he's concerned for his child, but it is misplaced. And he needs to understand that he cannot be going wrong if he tries to follow what God has said. Uh, and and uh, but of course that's not a popular opinion I just mentioned. We 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 become too brainwashed today, and we're too secularized in our thinking. And psychology has done more harm to our generation than any other generation. We've got more psychology today, and yet more problems we've ever had psychologically. They don't solve the problem; they exacerbate the problem; they compound the problem. There's no solution because they have a wrong understanding of man and uh, biblical anthropology because of that they always diagnose it the wrong way and then once it is diagnosed and given a, a label in the psychological manual it almost becomes as though it's law now the other thing I like to say this I don't feel that these transgender people should partake in, in women's sports I think it's a big error and I think the, the current um, uh, president of the United States has made a massive mistake in this regard I, uh, I think he is I don't even think he knows what he's doing, to be very honest with you. But to actually uh, endorse, if I was a woman athlete today, and I think it would happen, if all of them refuse to participate in the Olympics and participate in, in sports, you'll see how long, how far, how fast this will change. But there's so much money wrapped up in this whole thing, I suspect that uh, people who invested in it are not prepared to make a price. But the only way this thing will ever change is if the women athletes decided and just as a body decide we are not going to participate in any sports where transgender is. If they want to have transgender sports, let them have transgender sports. But it is totally uh, put ladies at a disadvantage for a man who has muscles, m- muscular and body shape and everything uh, than to be running in a race or swimming with women. Uh, to my mind, it is totally ludicrous. And only an apostate generation and apostate leaders could allow this kind of thing to happen. They've just lost their, their moral authority, their moral clout, and uh, they're blind spiritually. 
And now they're going into all kind of confusion until it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So I don't have any sympathy towards uh, a person adopting this kind of attitude. I understand the, the emotions of the whole thing, but we don't operate on the basis of emotions. We operate on the basis of truth and operate on faith, and we believe in God's Word. We follow God's Word. And we must not call ourselves Christians if we don't want to follow God's Word. Call ourselves something else, but not Christians. And I think it's really terrible that you can hear this kind of emotional appeal because it, it tears your heart to hear that. But that's all emotion, right? Complete emotion. And we must not be governed by emotion when it comes to these matters. A text message from Antigua. Parents fail their children when they allow them to change what God made them to be. God never made a mistake when he created us in our mother's womb. What are your thoughts, Pastor? Well said. I don't think I could say it any better. I endorse exactly what that person is saying. I just think that parents are becoming children. Children are now ruling the homes and controlling. And This is the first generation I've surrendered uh, to um, teenagers and to young people. There's always been the, all generations of honored people, the gray-haired people, the people with experience and knowledge, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This whole thing is becoming twisted and turned around. We've, everything is becoming inverted, and we're headed to a real uh, catastrophe in the future, and it's really, really sad that mature people and sensible people uh, are falling for this line. And again, it's the psychology of the day that has put us in this position as though it's some, have some kind of authority when all of these psychological um, principles, they cannot be proven. They're not science. They cannot be proven. Uh, so when it goes contrary to Scripture, you as a believer must follow Scripture and not psychology. Here's a message that has just come in. Pastor, why should we forgive others? Because we're forgiven. Our Lord made that very, very clear. Uh, he said, if we don't forgive, we will not be forgiven. And again, I think that has to do with, remember that sin breaks the relationship between us and God. And I believe that when a believer refuses to forgive, his relation with God is, is broken. It doesn't mean that his sonship is broken, but his fellowship is broken with God. And until that uh, forgiveness is granted, no matter how much he prays, no matter what he does, that relationship is severed because the Bible makes it very, very clear. So unless we forgive, we will not be forgiven. And a believer who has been forgiven, uh, as a matter of fact, I think that one of the sure signs that we don't know what forgiveness is, is to be so hardened in our hearts that we can't forgive. Our Lord pointed out in one of the parables when uh, Peter asked, how many times do I forgive my brother? And he says seven times. He thought he was wise. And the Lord says 70 times seven. In other words, indefinitely. Uh, if the person has offended you and come to you and say, I repent, I'm sorry, the Lord said you must forgive him. So we don't have an option when it comes to forgiveness. Uh, it's a matter of duty and responsibility. Well, I don't have the feelings. And that's a sad mistake that people make again. You don't operate on feelings. Listen, if you do what God says to do and you don't have the feelings, don't worry about that. It's a matter of obedience to God. The feelings would come when you realize that you've fulfilled what God has said. It's then the blessing becomes to come, to come and the blessings become to, and the feelings come. But don't wait till feelings to do what you what what you you know the Bible says love your enemy. If you depend on your feelings to do that, you'll never do it. But that's not what he's saying. Uh, to love your enemy means to of your will uh, treat your enemy as you want to be treated. Uh, look after his welfare and show kindness and compassion to him. When you do that, and uh, eventually what will happen? The fact that you've been obedient in in in, in fulfilling that that uh, that uh, duty you'll find that your emotions then begin to change. I would like to say this. 
we are wired. God has wired us in such a way that when someone shows kindness to us repeatedly and is genuine, we cannot help it. We have to respond in kind. That's why the Bible says, if your enemy hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him uh, to drink. And thereby you build waters, uh, fire over his head, as it were. In other words, by showing kindness, you kind of uh, ignite a fire that uh, melts him until eventually he responds positively. And that's how we are wired. So anytime we have a problem with a person we can't respond to or we find difficult with, try doing it the biblical way. Try being kind and thoughtful and, and, and loving. And I can guarantee you, at some point in time, it might take a while, that resistance is going to break down because that's how God has wired us. And if God had not wired us that way, I don't know what uh, solution there would be to some of the harsh problems that we face with. If you have just tuned in, you're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. It's a live interactive call-in program. I'll give you the contact information in just a minute. But we are broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. If you are enjoying the teaching of Pastor Murphy. Maybe you already listened to Sermons of Grace on Sunday evenings here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Maybe you have missed an episode of Sermons of Grace before and wanted to go back and listen to it. Maybe you heard the episode in its entirety, but wanted to go back and meditate and absorb what was taught. We now have it available on podcast. You can go to our website, radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second picture that you see, which is a large microphone right in the center. There's a circle that says podcast. Click on that link and then scroll down. And on that page, there is a link for Sermons of Grace. I believe there's almost 200 episodes as Pastor Murphy's been preaching through the book of Romans. And we're glad to make that available to you. Pastor, we have a caller from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, Dibonil. Hi, good evening, Gain. How are you doing? Not too bad, Pastor Murphy. But Anita, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for calling. Yes, Pastor uh, Murphy. Yes, sir. My my grandmother was about old saying saying that monkey had not love his child so much that he killed it. Was that one monkey? What monkey had loved his child so much that he killed it. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so I don't like the man loving child so much that he, he yeah. make proving wrong to her. To yeah, her. yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that one. Yeah, that is very wrong. I, young people, I mean, elderly people have a way of making some statements. It's just they say it's, uh, it, it's just very profound, succinct, and, and very succinct, etc. Et yeah. Let me ask my question now. Um, sure. <coughs> did Did Jacob mother know that? The, the boyfriend that belonged to Jacob before she had used him the way she did. Birthright didn't belong to Jacob, it belonged to Esau. Yeah, because I read it in, in Romans chapter 9. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they say the youngest should have served the, the oldest. And the oldest. Oh, good. The youngest should have served the oldest, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was prophesied, but again, um, she she knew that the the oldest son is entitled to the uh, the birthright, which is uh, twice the blessings. The problem there with with her really is trying to engineer and make something work. Uh, if she had waited, I've, I haven't pre- preached on it, but I've 
talked about it before. There are many, many ways that the Lord could have actually, uh, I mean, he could have, Jacob, Esau could have died first, and Jacob would have had the birthright. But that is, that is where people are trying to engineer something to make something happen, rather than wait on God for God to get the job done. We're all tempted to, to help God a little bit, rather than just depend upon God. If God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. But we are tempted. It's just like uh, when the Lord told uh, Abraham, look, you're going to have a son by Sarah. He's 100 years old. She's 90 years old. So what does Sarah do? Sarah said, well, you know what? Uh, maybe he means I'm going to have a child, but not by me, but you're going to have it by this. this. So take this Hagar and have a child. Uh, Abraham, unfortunately, listened to his wife, and today we're still paying the price for that because look at the struggle between the Arabs and the Jews. That's where yeah. all this problem came from. Yeah, it, sense, yeah. Yeah, is man trying to engineer and make things happen by his own wisdom? And he can't see how it can work. That's his problem. He can't see how God can make this work. <laughs> and as a result of not seeing that, it, it's not a matter of faith any longer. We're trying to put uh, ourselves in that position and use our own wit and wisdom to solve the problem. And in the whole end of it, we complicate the matter <laughs> by trying to pray God. <coughs> She should have waited and let God work that out, but of course she uh, could not wait. And, and because of nepotism, you know, she loved Jacob and the father loved Esau and they has got this struggle. He loved soup. Father loves soup because his son is a hunter. And see the favor, mommy, of course, Jacob's home every day. He's a mommy's boy. So as a result, you've got this, this, this struggle going on and um, she started to engineer this thing. Well, what I mean, we, we have to understand that and she, she married the promise. God promised that Isaac and Abraham picked me with the Dagestan, the son of the. So, why is he in that way? I mentioned fear God. Well, you know, you know, when you put yourself in that position, how many times you and I have done exactly what she did? Maybe not in that particular way, but we couldn't wait, and we we went and we did our own thing, and we might even have gotten it done, and then we realized the consequence of it. There are many times we look back on our lives and we wish we had just waited, if we had just waited another day, another two days. Uh, so uh, why we can look back on her story and um, reprimand her and criticize her, etc., when we look at our own story, we see a lot of ourselves in her and that in itself humbles us before God, uh, and we can understand why a woman can make a mistake like that. Nobody. We have no record in the Bible where anybody ever prayed to Mary. Absolutely none. Um, again, what has happened with the Catholic Church is that they take some of the apocryphal books and that is where they get a lot of their, their, their additional extra-biblical uh, information that they've incorporated into their teaching. That's why they pray to the dead. There's no uh, stuff like that. Uh, that's why they pray to the saints, because they believe the saints have extra grace, what they call a reservoir of grace. Peter had more grace than, than he needed, so it's a, a reservoir above there that you can, it's almost like a bank of grace that you can draw on. But there's no biblical warrant for that whatsoever. And the problem with, with uh, a lot of these other people is that they just don't read their Bible. I can't understand how a person's destiny is entirely dependent on Scripture and have never taken the time to read the Bible. And then when they find something that is being said that's contrary to the Bible, how in the world do you embrace that? Uh, it, it's it's really sad. It, it's really really sad, but it is symptomatic of uh, so many people today. Up to Saturday, uh, I had an I had a talk with a guy, and he told me 
And the Bible says, no man must wear any long year cover in his ears. I see it's a shame. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how come Jesus have so much long year? Everybody be trying to in the church by Catholic church, by Jesus. Then, how you mean? I say, boy, <laughs> the Catholic church will be on you. Mm-hmm. Jesus is a Jew. Yeah, well, uh, again, uh, yeah, uh, but again, uh, it goes back to the whole matter of getting into the scriptures and studying the Bible, and and uh, I don't know if we could ever bring a generation back to study the scriptures. Uh, people come to church and they have Bibles. Every house almost has got a Bible, but it's put on the shelf. When you get home on Sunday, next Sunday they pick it up. Uh, that that is sad. We're about to uh, plan a survey sometime soon. Uh, one of our brothers is doing. Uh, something in, in counseling one of the assignments that we're going to do we want to do a survey of the churches in Antigua and we, we hope the government will give us permission to do a survey of the schools as well to have an idea of the spiritual state of the church and the school um, I wouldn't tell you the specific questions but questions like uh, do you read your Bible how many times do you read it per, per week or per day do you pray uh, that kind of thing we get that kind of information so we know exactly what the state of the church is and that would be very, very helpful in trying to address some of the matters. Of course, we want to find out when you started using uh, drugs and stuff like that to give the give us an idea of how to help these kind of people. But until you have the data of what your spiritual state is, you just uh, go on acce- uh, assuming that people are reading the Bible, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, when in actual fact, it, it seldom happens in most in most homes, in most churches, in most individuals as well. Well, you need to get permission, though, for the government. For example, the churches, I think the churches would cooperate, but I don't know if the, the schools would cooperate, because I would like to get some good information about the morality, too, of these, these students. Uh, because if you're going to help these young people and understand the problems they're struggling with, you have to have the data to really understand what is happening. If you don't have the data, you're operating in a vacuum, and that, that you don't have the means, and the you can't appeal to a certain... Um, situations unless you really have know what's going on. So it requires some kind of data. Yes, sir. Pray for us. God bless you. Say hello to your wife as well. God bless you. Thank you for your call. appreciate you listening. If you have a question that you would like asked here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, please give us a call. The phone number to be put live on the air is 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. Pastor, believe it or not, we just got a WhatsApp question from Romania. Wow. Romania? Romania, yes. Hello from Romania. Thank you so much for what you do and for the precious information that you give us each week. Thank you, Nathan and David Murphy. God bless you, and please continue to update us with your precious knowledge. I have a question in regards to addictions and sorrow depression. Besides the biological side, where these can have these origins, do you believe that it is possible for a demonic one as well? Or also, could this come from a family background that resembles curses and family tragedies? Sorry if my question is not so clear again. Thank you so much for what you do each week. Yeah, I think that you can have um, demonic oppression, and if it runs in the family, uh, in every case where there is some kind of demonic activity that I've been able to discover, when I'm dealing with people who are... Uh, I suspect is demonic or having demonic influence. I, I would say this, in all the cases I've known so far and I've dealt with so far, 
um, I, the, one of the first questions is, does anybody in your family? And in every case, there's someone like grandmother, great-grandmother who's been involved in it. And I think that this is a result of transference. Um, there's a book by Dr. Kosh called Council in the Occult. I would suggest that if you can purchase that and get it in Romania, it's worth its weight in gold. But he's been uh, counseling and dealing with uh, demonic. He's not a Pentecostal. He's a Lutheran pastor who has devoted his life to dealing with the occult in, in Eastern Europe. And he spent 40 years dealing with uh, counseling people in the, who were under occult oppression. And if you read that book, you'll see that uh, depression is one of, the, uh, one of the key factors involved in any kind of uh, demonism. So I would say to you that besides the organic, yes, you can have the demonic involved in that as well. And uh, the other thing, of course, too, is not just demonic as well. You, there's some kind of a precipitating cause that normally leads you, uh, people into depression. Depression can be caused by a circumstance. A loss, some loss is a, one of the biggest problems. Whether it be a loss of um, a family member, a uh, loss of a job, even loss of prestige. Uh, when you lose something valuable, you can be plunged into depression. So it's not just organic, it's not just demonic. There are uh, circumstances and uh, precipitating causes as well that, that can lead to this, this kind of depression. We did a program on, on this matter before, and I'll ask Brother Nathan probably to make a reference to it so you can probably listen to the program because we did do something on depression. might be very helpful to you. Yes, I will look that up and I'll give you that information. Thank you very much for listening from Romania, and thank you for your question, and please continue to encourage others to listen and also to send in your questions. Yeah, I just remembered, Nathan, as well. If the if person studied the life of King Saul, where because of Saul's rebellion against God, uh, God removed, removed the Jewish spirit from King Saul, and an evil spirit, which is a demonic force, was allowed to afflict uh, Saul. If you read the story of Saul's biography and his life, you'll find that he had fits of depression. Uh, you'll find that there are times when he had almost maniacal behavior. And he had uh, a compulsion uh, in trying to pursue David. And you got this kind of a, a Jacqueline Hyde personality, almost like a maniac depressive person. One moment, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's almost going crazy, throwing a dart at David. Uh, the next moment, he's calmed down, et cetera, et cetera. So you can see very clearly in that uh, uh, story of, of, of King Saul that uh, evil spirits, demonic spirits, can influence behavior and it can cause depression. It's clearly there in the life of Samuel. If you are interested in hearing uh, two episodes dealing with dealing with anxiety, uh, part one and part two, you can go to That's Truth Podcast. Just Google it, That's Truth Podcast, and look for episode 108 and 109. Pastor, we have a caller that has been on hold for a couple of minutes. Thank you for call. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Uh, blessed, good evening, Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Madam. Good evening, Brother Nathan. Good evening. I was listening to a program on Sunday on another radio station, where a man claims to be a minister who said that God does not hear sinners' prayer. He made reference to a few scriptures, and I was looking for that piece of paper that I wrote down the scriptures on. Unfortunately, I cannot find it. So if it's possible, and I can get her feedback from you on that, I'll be grateful. Well, I, I, I can give you a very quick answer to that. Um, look at Acts chapter 10. There you have a guy called Cornelius. Uh -huh. he's, he's not converted. 
He's trying to. He's on. He's not a safe person. He's right. He's praying, Uh and the Lord said that his prayer has come up before God, Uh and God has kept his prayer. And now Paul, uh, God sends Peter to Jopper to him. So here's a man who's not saved, and God answers his prayer. So I I, I understand what people are saying. Um, um, What people generally mean by that is that um, God doesn't answer uh, your prayer in the sense that a person who's a a sinner, in other words, giving him all kinds of blessings and stuff like that's what they normally, because people normally tell you, the Lord blessed me, he gave me this, he gave me the next. So people normally use that to say, well, uh, that's not likely because, but again, when you look at um, Cornelius' case, an unsaved man, but he's searching for God. And that's the key thing here about him. He's searching to find God. How does he know the way of God? And uh, God hears his prayer, and God leads uh, Peter to go to find him so that he be brought to faith. So to say that God doesn't answer an unsaved person's prayer, that scripture in itself demolishes that argument because an unsaved man's prayer is answered because he's searching for God. Thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. Have a blessed evening. You too, madam. God bless. Thank you very much for the call, and thanks for listening to That's Truth. Pastor, we have a question that has come from St. Kitts Nevis. Pastor, good night. What are the core tasks given by Jesus to his followers as outlined in Matthew 28, 19-20? Is there occasion for the baptized to be recipients of this mission? And let me read those verses. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Again, the question is, is there occasion for the baptized to be recipients of the mission? Well, the the mandate that's given there uh, is, is basically twofold. Well, threefold. Number one is that you you go. Uh, I think we all understand that's the missionary uh, responsibility of the church, the individual. If you can't go overseas, you should be doing some kind of evangelism and reaching people for Christ. The other said, uh, he said he got to baptize. So after you got the person, uh, baptism is part of that. And then teaching. And the word they're teaching, by the way, is the word disciple. Uh, If you check it up in the Greek language, it's word to make disciples of uh, people. So it's not just about baptizing them and teaching them. Disciple goes a little bit further. You call alongside to try to help person, to nurture that person, mentor that person. And um, and then he's promised that his presence is going to be with us. So his program is outlined and he specifies what the program is, but also he tells us his presence is going to be there to empower us to do what needs to be done. Now, after that person is baptized and that person is, is discipled, of course, the one who's become the recipient, now, he now has the same responsibility that was given to the other. He would pass on that responsibility. It's like passing the baton on. We get people converted, that they might get people converted, that they might get people converted. Now, I, I, one of the things that you can do and uh, is worth doing it, uh, you can do it, do it for Antigua alone. Start with one person getting saved and that person getting another person saved. Let's suppose that every, every person that gets saved gets somebody saved within a year. I did the exercise some time ago, but it wouldn't take a very short, a very short time to reach everybody in Antigua. Uh, it, it, it's what God intended, but we failed in that regard because um, we have not really followed the mandate. As a result, we've got so many people that are not, not, not redeemed. But um, the mandate given to the church is passed on to the person who is converted. Uh, 
And he carries out that mandate so that the message keeps on going on and going. One generation passes on to the next generation and passes on to the next generation so that there's a continuity in Christianity. So the person who is the recipient of the work of the disciples, uh, he also will have disciples who will have disciples. And it can. There's a passage in, uh, I think it's Second Timothy, where Paul says, The things that you've learned from me... The same commit now the faithful men who will commit the faithful men. That's the idea of passing on the baton. So there's a three generations that Paul talks about there um, within that, that one verse. So um, it is part of the responsibility of those who receive from those who have carried out the mandate and now carry out the mandate themselves. You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program. We are live on Tuesday evenings, and then it is rebroadcast on Saturday afternoons. If you are listening on Saturday afternoon, we are thankful that you are listening. And you can still send in your question via WhatsApp or text message to the following phone number, and we will answer it the following Tuesday. The WhatsApp or text number is one 782 a WhatsApp question from Trinidad. Uh, they say in connection to a question they have that you responded earlier, what caused Saul to be attacked by the evil spirit? Who sent the evil spirit? Was it God? And if it was not, if it was God, why would he allow such? Well, again, you've got to read the account um, that is there in the book of Samuel. Uh, we know that uh, King Saul started out quite well. Uh, very humble guy. As a matter of fact, when they wanted to find him to be king, he's hiding. He's very timid, uh, very uh, submissive, as it were. And although he was head and shoulders above everybody else, he's a very reserved, very reticent person. But then he becomes king. And after he becomes king, he gets victory after victory. And of course, his son, Jonathan, as well, is, is getting victory. So Saul becomes very popular because he delivers Israel from the Philist- uh, Philistines, etc., etc. But then he got too big. He wanted to play the role of the priest. The Samuel told him, wait, there's a Philistine battle going on. He said, wait for me to sacrifice. Saul waits, but then uh, Samuel is, he's not, he's kind of delayed. He's expecting to come a certain time. Samuel doesn't come the exact time he wants. And Sam, uh, Saul proceeds to make the sacrifice. By the time the sacrifice is finished, then Samuel turns up. And uh, Samuel is profoundly disturbed that Saul would take this kind of uh, arrogant uh, action uh, to assume the priest role. And, of course, he was told then that the Lord uh, will take the kingdom from him. The other thing is that the Lord had told him to go to kill all the Amalekites, completely wipe them off, because Amalekites had attacked Israel when they were going into the Promised Land. And and Saul, rather than uh, do that, he preserved the king, and also he preserved all the best sheep, all the animals, etc., etc., and when Samuel turns up, he says, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. And then Samuel hears the animals bleating. He said, but how come I hear this bleating? And then his excuse was, the people made me uh, do what I did, and therefore I didn't follow the Lord. As a result of that, the Lord decided he would take the kingdom from Saul. And then that's when David came into the picture and that God has chosen, and he becomes jealous of David. And pretty soon the people are calling David. Uh, Saul killed his thousands, and David is 10,000, and that created jealousy. Uh, and he attempted to kill David certain ti- uh, several times. It was then, after this willful disobedience, this attempt on David's life, etc., etc., the Lord allowed an evil spirit 
to attack uh, King Saul. God in his sovereignty withheld his protective power of the king and allowed a demonic force uh, to, to, uh, to influence him. This is God's punishment, God's sovereignty in controlling um, the lives of his people, and God allows uh, this kind of chastening. I am not privy to God's knowledge why he would allow it, but I know it had to do with punishment for Saul's rebellion and sin and disobedience. Uh, God withhold his, his restraint, and therefore the demon is able to attack him. Uh, by the way, in the New Testament, Paul talks about that in chapter, a uh, similar thing in chapter 5 of Corinthians as well, with a young man who lived in an incestuous relationship. He wouldn't repent. The church is boasting that they're liberal and tolerant. And Paul commands them to cast this man outside so that Satan might destroy his body, that his spirit might be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. It is God uh, taking off his restraining hand on the believer's life and allowing the enemy to take uh, of him. This is part of the divine punishment. When we don't listen and we continuously live a life of disobedience, God can remove his restraining hand and the enemy can have access to us. This is how God operates, but it's a moral decision that is made based on our disobedience and it's part of God's uh, our penalty that God imposes upon us when we are so recklessly disobedient. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question from Antigua. They say, good night, Pastor. Can you please explain John 9.31? And that says, now we, n- now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Yeah, that, I, I can't remember the whole, the whole context. Um, He's uh, just healed the yeah, yeah some kind of healing and uh, and stuff like that. That's a general statement, and it must be taken on face value. Uh, a general statement, but again, uh, that is not to be taken to be an absolute statement where God never hears any sinner. Because if that's the case, you're contradicting um, Acts chapter ten. It's like yeah. a lot of the a lot of the general statements, for example, in um, and, and I got a friend who made that statement. I can't remember who made that statement. I think that's one of the one in the crowd that made the statement. Of what somebody made that observation. Uh, I think that was one of the Pharisees, if I'm not mistaken. We, we did the game. Uh, so, okay, the verse itself says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Uh, the previous verse is the man who was healed, speaking back to the religious leaders who were chastising him and putting... So that's the man that said that verse? I, I believe uh, yeah. so, just from a quick reading. Yeah, it's either him or the Pharisees that said it, but it's a general statement and a general it's generally true that God hears people who are righteous. But that doesn't mean that God does not hear a person who is seeking God and asking God and praying to God. Uh, there have been situations, for example, for missionaries who have had this experience where when they have turned up on a foreign country and they arrived, the people were almost expecting them. Uh, and, and the reason for that is they have been they responded to the light that it had and they were praying for God to send somebody and then the, the, the missionaries came and the people were aware that this was an answer to prayer. So God uh, would uh, God hears people who are seeking Him and who are praying. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, if you seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. If a person is in earnest, and that's a question, by the way, that uh, helps resolve the question of what happened to the heathen. If a heathen responds to the revelation God has given to him, and he's in earnest, and he really is seeking that God would uh, send someone or uh, bring the light to him, 
God will ensure that that happens uh, because He's promised me to seek me with all your heart. Uh, you'll hear you. But generally speaking, um, when it comes to answering, you know, uh, people pray, well, God give me a new job or God give me that, the unsafe person. Uh, 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 that kind of prayer is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a prayer who's a person, who, a sinner who's seeking God and who wants to find the truth. God has promised that he would, he would let that person, uh, he let that truth come to that person. Thank you very much for the individual who sent in that question from Antigua. Pastor, we have a caller from Antigua. Thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please. Hi, you right? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, my question is, why when Jesus died on the cross and he was on a crucifixion, he told one of the thieves on them that he did in paradise with him. Uh-huh. So if he did in paradise with him, what about his mother, who finds so highly unworthy where the angel says that um, she's going to bring forth a son? Yeah. And why should she be not in heaven too? Yeah. No, we're not saying that Mary's spirit is not in heaven. We never question that. Every believer who has put his faith and trust in Christ after the resurrection, all spirits of believers are in heaven and Mary's spirit will be in heaven but Mary's body is not in heaven that's the point we're making Mary awaits the resurrection the only person who has ever been resurrected out of the dead uh, is Christ and he's the first fruit the Bible says uh, so that's what that's the point we're making so we're not saying that Mary's spirit is not in heaven but we're saying that Mary was not assumed into heaven taken directly when she died bodily into heaven and enthroned as a queen that is not scripture, it's not biblical, it's not there. Uh, it is just part of the fictional beliefs that has come out of the Catholic teaching, not based on the Bible, based on tradition, etc., etc. But it's not in the Bible. Uh, so we're not saying that Mary is not in paradise. That's not what we're saying. We're saying Mary's spirit is in paradise with, with him, but not her body. Her body awaits resurrection. And you say that um, heavenly people cannot hear we um we um earthly people pray. Well, I just wanted to um clarify for that for me, please. I can only tell you what the Bible teaches. There's no reference in the Bible to anybody <laughs> other than uh, uh, we know that Moses and Elijah knew about Christ, discussed Christ's resurrection and his death. But we have no other record in the Bible of anybody, either in the Old Testament or the New Testament, uh, involved with anybody who uh, died and praying to anybody who died. As a matter of fact, uh, the Lord said it is wrong to consult the dead on the behalf of the living. That's in the, uh, I, can give you, I can give you a verse for that uh, after the program, but the Lord actually said that uh, in the prophetic writings. It is wrong to consult the dead on the behalf of the living. So God does not approve that. That's called necromancy, and it's, com- it's condemned throughout the Bible. Mm. Okay, so that's it? Well, that's all I can say to you. I don't know okay. what else you want me to say. Next week, I will come back with this question here, the one with um, the first Adam and um, the second Adam, okay? Sure, pro- no problem. Start, the first Adam, how was start with um, Eve when she born all people in sin and then the second Adam have a mother that born uh, a man that lead everybody in righteousness. So next week I'll come back to you. We'll talk with two federal heads next week. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for your call, Codrington. We appreciate you calling in and I trust that you will continue to be finding your answers from the Bible, where we all should be finding our answers. The time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.38. 
Pastor, we don't have any questions right now that have come in, but if you still have a question, go ahead and send it in. You can send it via WhatsApp or text one two six eight seven eight two one four five four, or you can call and be put live on the air. The phone line is now open and available, waiting for you to call. And that number to be put live on the air is two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. We're going to jump back into our discussion about Bible mysteries from last week. And Pastor, can you just give us a brief overview of what was discussed? Yeah, we um, first of all we talked about how you define what a a Bible mystery is, and we, what we try to point out is that a Bible mystery is not something that is arcane or obtuse or esoteric or so difficult you can't comprehend it that you need some kind of special um, insight and you must be initiated into some kind of a, a mystery before you can actually be told what these things mean. We pointed out to you that the word mystery in the Bible really has to do with these are truths and plans and programs that God from eternity had planned, but he has now revealed uh, uh, in the New Testament these particular truths. These are things that that were not revealed in the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that God didn't know what he was going to do, but uh, truths about the church, uh, truths about the rapture, truths about the the progress of uh, sin that will climax in the Antichrist. These are not taught in the Old Testament. These are things that are, that are now brought to light in the New Testament. So we just want to make sure that people don't think that mystery means something that is so difficult to understand. As a matter of fact, when these mysteries are revealed by the apostles in the New Testament, you look at them and say, but there's nothing difficult about that. Because it was never intended to be difficult. It's just that the truth was not revealed until New Testament times. And that's what we're trying to to point out to you. The other thing is that mysteries in the occult, uh, Rome and uh, Babylon, these were things that only belonged to a select few, those who were initiated into it, and they could not reveal those secrets under the pain of death. However, when a New Testament truth is revealed in the in the uh, epistles, we don't hold it secret. We declare it because this now that God has revealed it, our job now is to uh, proclaim it to the ends of the world. So we don't have to keep these things a secret. Uh, so that we were just trying to draw that distinction so that people is very 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 clear in their mind what this uh, this thing of mystery is about. The other thing is that. Uh, that we talked about is that of the New Testament mysteries, and there are about 26 times the word mystery is used, the central core mystery in the New Testament has to do with the age of grace, the church age that was not made known. Yet Paul points out in the book of Colossians that God has now made that known uh, in this current dispensation. So in the Old Testament, there is no teaching about the church, that one day the Jews and the Gentiles would become one body. That's not in the, in the Old Testament. You do find in the Old Testament that Christ would reach out to the Gentiles and like to the Gentiles, but the idea of creating a body called the church as a corporate entity made up of Jews and Gentiles, uh, that was never taught in the, in, the, in the Old Testament. And Paul in Colossians uh, 1, 24 to 27, calls, said that this great mystery about uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory, uh, is a mystery. So that is a key truth, uh, mystery in the Old Te- in the New Testament that the Bible reveals. By the way, this is also confirmed in Romans uh, sixteen, 
verse 25 and 26 is also confirmed in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 7 and Ephesians 3, 5 and 8. All of those passages indicate that the mystery, the profound mystery of this time is about the church age and what is called the church dispensation. That's what we did uh, last time. The other thing that we we did uh, last week was to point out that there's a, the, in the Old Testament, it's a gap between Christ's first coming and his second coming. But the two of them are so put together that you would think one happens immediately after the other. Uh, and the church age in between the, the, the first coming and the second coming is not mentioned in those portions. And we showed you that very, very clearly from Isaiah 9, 6, for example. The son is given, the government should be upon his shoulder. The son is given, he's coming as a Messiah. He's going to die. But it says that the government, but the government is not upon his shoulder yet. The government only comes upon his shoulder during the millennial period. So there's no mention of the church period in between there. And then in Isaiah 6, uh, chapter 61, verse 1 and 2 as well, uh, there's also this, this, this hiatus, this gap between the first coming and the second coming. And then Zechariah uh, 9 and 10, chapter 9, verse 9 and 10, there's the mention of the triumphant ministry uh, entry, and then it runs into the, 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 the final phase of the, the kingdom coming in. But there's no mention of the church. So that's why we say that the mystery of the church between the first coming and the second coming is not mentioned in the Old Testament because they told them running together. And that's what confused the Jews uh, when the Messiah came, they saw the Messiah as coming to be a triumphant king who would destroy the Roman power and set up Israel as the final authority. But when that didn't happen, they thought Israel uh, Christ was a traitor. But if they had read Isaiah 53, they would have known the Messiah is coming to die as a lamb for the sins of the world. But they never could put the two together. It takes the Old Test, the New Testament, out to unravels that. You remember in the Acts when. Um, um, Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch. He's gone up to Jerusalem. He's going back to Ethiopia, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And he comes to that part uh, where he's as a sheep before the slaughter. He doesn't even understand what he's just been to Jerusalem, and he still doesn't understand. And then we're told that Philip got into the chariot and explained to him all the things concerning Christ and his death. So he points out that this Messiah is going to come. He's going to die to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. But the Jews couldn't see that. And consequently, they crucified him. But the day will come when the scales are removed from their eyes and they'll recognize they've crucified the Messiah. And the book of Revelation says that when that happens, they will bawl as a mother in travail when they realize we actually killed our Messiah. Can we believe that? That day is coming. But until that day comes, Israel remains in blindness, judicial blindness. Pastor, we have a call from Antigua. Thank you for calling. And go ahead quickly with your question, please. Yeah, Pastor, we will again. Yes, sir. Uh, is it right for um, a pastor to call himself a prophet? Well, it's an interpretation, to be very honest with you, uh, because there's a list in the book of Ephesians where it lists um, um, prophets, uh, apostles, prophets, pastor, teachers. Why we don't believe that the, the, the prophetic ministry is any longer applicable is because the Bible is complete. The other thing is that we're told that the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation of the church. Now, once the foundation is laid and they laid the foundation, the superstructure now is built up by the pastors and evangelists. So it's a matter of interpretation, but there's no need for a prophet when the Bible is complete. That's the point that we make. And since the prophets and the apostles laid the foundation for the church, 
they have performed their job, and now the role of the pastor, teacher, and the evangelist, that's their role now to build the church up and expand the church. So it's more a, a matter of interpretation, but that's my view on the whole matter. And I think that, and again, a lot of these people who claim to be prophets, all of them prove to be false. You take Ellen G. White for just a moment, not trying to beat her all the time, but um, look at her, what she said, that she had direct revelations from God. And yet when you look at the white lie written by McRae, who was an ex-Adventist pastor, uh, he takes all of her writings and he puts next to her writings where she stole the information. It's called plagiarism. But yet she claims this thing came directly from God. Clearly that's a false prophet. You can't be telling lies that God has revealed this thing directly to you and you're stealing the information from another source and not crediting the fact that you actually took it from another source. I mean, there are other, others that we can talk about, that, uh, but all of them, look at how many of them have just lost their prophetic voice who proclaimed that uh, Trump was going to be, have a second term. You know, how many people were saying that? Go on the internet, you'll see how many of them were saying that. And now they are ashamed that they said it because the Bible says if a man makes a prophecy and it does not come to pass, he's a false prophet. And you should stone him. Yeah, and we should stone him. <laughs> because, because right now, I, I know one that is in your prophet right now, and that's doing deliverance straight to treat. And all of a sudden now, if it's from Sunday, you change his name to an apostle. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that is part of the folly of our day, that when you've got a people who are biblically illiterate and don't study the Bible and don't understand, then you've got to be aware that the Bible says false prophets are going to come. We do know that false prophets are going to come. Our Lord warns us about that. See, So we must take the Word of God. Anytime a man claims to be a prophet and he teaches anything contrary to the Scriptures, you know one thing, he's not a prophet. He is a false prophet. The other thing, my dear brother, if you go into the book of Ezekiel and the book of Jeremiah, you'll find that even when you had God's two prophets on earth, there were prophets who were contradicting what these prophets were saying and uh, as a matter of fact, you'll find one case with Jeremiah where they actually slapped Jeremiah in the face and, and uh, had him incarcerated and then put in, in a pond. But again, uh, so if you had false prophets back then, you're going to have, if you had false prophets in the day of our Lord, you're going to have some in our day. And the Bible warns that the final uh, apostasy has come and you're going to have a lot of false prophets in the end time. And this is exactly where we're living. And now living in what is called the Laodicean Age, the final phase of, of, of church history. And that uh, uh, false prophet is going to be very common in our period of time. Yeah, because if you watch the time of Moses, the Pharaoh had enough power to make the day of the snake. Yeah, yeah. That, you, yeah, yeah they, they had the, um, what, what do you call it, wise men. There, look, yeah. there's no doubt that p the Bible says that an evil generation seeks miracles and signs. You know that? Think yeah. about that. For just, Jesus said that. It's an evil generation that seeks miracles and signs. You remember when the Lazarus, uh, the witch man told Lazarus, look, if a man would go from the dead and tell my five brothers not to come to this place, they would hear. You know what he said? If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, they'll yeah, not yeah. hear though a man raised from the dead. Yeah. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God it's the word of God who is the agency of creating faith in people so we get to the word we don't not that we don't want that, that miracles are impossible but that's not what we're looking for God has given us his truth let us live obedient lives to God and manifest in our lives our obedience to God and scripture that's what people are looking for people who are living as God intended them to live what good is a man performing a miracle and then he lived like the devil or he's yeah. cheating on his wife, or he's got three and four prophetesses himself that he's sleeping with. 
Tell me what good does that, how does that help anybody? <laughs> it doesn't. Let's hold to the word, my brother. Yes, okay. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you for the call. Pastor Murphy, a message that's coming via Facebook from Antigua. Good night. When I'm praying, I acknowledge God my Father first, then Jesus his Son, and the Holy Spirit. Should I pray as one and not as three individuals? Interesting question. Interesting question, but again, I would follow what our Lord dictated to us, that if you ask anything in his name, you know, that you go to the Father and you pray in the name of Jesus. There's nothing wrong in recognizing the Holy Spirit that he intercedes for you, because in Romans chapter 8, it says that the Holy Spirit intercedes with us uh, when we with groanings that cannot be uttered. And I suspect there are times when you don't even know how to pray. I don't even know how to pray. As a matter of fact, you do groan sometimes because sometimes as you're praying and you ever had the worst thought pass your mind at the time you're praying? You say, I can't believe that here I am in the most holy place and here this thought hit me. I think at times when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays according to the will of God, according to Romans chapter 8 for us. So he has a function of interceding for us. But we are never told to go directly to the Spirit. We are told to go to the Father in the name of the Son and make our request known to him. And of course, the Holy Spirit will intercede for us in the behalf of God's will when we don't know how to pray effectively. So I would suggest that you and I follow the the order in which our Lord has given to us. We can't go wrong that way. We can only speculate um, um, by going the other way. But let's take his, his word and his directives for us uh, how to pray in his name. Is a prayer less effective, Pastor, if we don't end it with, in Jesus' name, amen? Well, he said if you ask anything in his name, I mean, if you're praying to God, it's like you're signing a check. Mm-hmm. The bank is heaven, but unless the correct signature on the, che- the check, you know, it's like somebody saying, "Well, I pray. What? What if I don't pray? Uh, what if I pray? Um, take a Muslim. What if he doesn't pray in Allah's name? Is the spirit going to ask because he pray to to uh, or in ha- Muhammad's name, whatever? Um, we should pray in Jesus' name. That's all we were told in the Bible, and we must follow the mandate of Christ. And it seems to me that there's a linkage between our answered prayer and signing off in Jesus' name. Remember that he is the one interceding for us before the Father, and that's why it's appropriate to pray in his name. Uh, I don't think we should ever offer prayer without we praying in Jesus' name. As we talk about Bible mysteries, until any more questions come in, um, you had given a summary of what was discussed last week could you tell us some about the types of the Bible mysteries? Yeah, I wanted to get into that a little bit more detail. Uh, for example, another set of mysteries that relate to this kingdom age is a series of serm- uh, series of parables given in Matthew 13. There's seven of them that outlines the entire course of this age. Uh, it's quite similar to Revelations 2 and 3 that outlines the seven churches that give you an outline of church history. If you were to take those seven parables and those seven letters in, in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you'll find that they are uh, outlined the same particular order. Uh, and that's the mystery of the age, what the church will become uh, and how it will grow and develop and how apostasy will enter. So there are uh, the mystery, what is called the kingdom and mystery form mentioned in Matthew chapter 13. Pastor, we have uh, Nathan calling from Nevis. Thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question quickly, please. We're just about out of time. 
Yes, good evening. By the way, I haven't heard from you for a long time. Thanks so much for calling again. <laughs> I'm still listening. Oh, okay, sir. Go ahead. Okay, um, I'm calling about Matthew chapter 24 and verse 31 and Second Thessalonians 2.1. Uh-huh. Now, in Matthew 24, 31, I'm wondering if there would be two raptures. Matthew 24, 31 says, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. Uh, if you read uh, the Second Thessalonians and Matthew chapter 24, you're dealing with apples and, and pears. They're two different things altogether. If you check Matthew chapter 24, this occurs after the tribulation period. Okay? Uh, the, the Second Thessalonians chapter 2 has nothing to do with the tribulation period. It has to do with the rapture of the church. So you're dealing with two different things altogether. Uh, Israel is regathered in Matthew chapter 24. That's the saints that are being regathered that go into the kingdom. Uh, Thessalonians uh, has to do with the, the, the rapture of the church. So you're not dealing with, you're not, there's not going to be two raptures, one rapture. But if you, if you have to understand, if you read Matthew chapter 24 and read the verses that come in before, it talks about the great tribulation and what will happen, the sun will be turning into darkness, all those kind of things when it returns in, in all of his glory, and then he sends his angels to gather the saints. Those are, the, those are who are left back at the end of the tribulation period that will go into the millennial kingdom. Remember that the redeemed Israel who are purified uh, in the tribulation period goes into the, the millennial kingdom, but the Gentiles as well as that treated Israel during that period of time, that helped protect Israel, they also will be going into the uh, into into the into the kingdom as well, but you're not dealing with two raptures, my brother. You're dealing with one rapture. There's only one rapture. It's not the church only. The rapture only relates to the church. It never relates to Israel. Now it says he will send the angel with a shout of the trumpet. Yeah, but don't conflate the two. So That's the thing. Would that they be gathered up to meet him also? No, that doesn't say that. He he gathers them. He send the angel to gather them, but not to, not to meet him in the air. It doesn't say that. Check it and see. Two different things altogether. And one has to do with the, he's coming back for the church before the tribulation period. The church is not appointed to wrath. Church is not going through the tribulation period. Uh, and after the tribulation period is over, then he sends his angel together, the remnant of Israel called the saints. If you go into the book of um, Daniel, you'll find that the saints there are Israel. Uh, that's the term that is used. And if you find trying the prophecy of Daniel, the end time prophecy that relates to Israel, you find the word saints that is referring to the Jews. When the church is gone, God regrafts Israel into his program. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11, and you'll see the program that God has that Israel is in blindness until the time of the Gentiles is complete. When the time of the Gentiles is complete, then God regrafts Israel uh, into his program. So Israel is a major player in the end times and those who don't have a place for Israel in their prophecy will always go wrong in understanding the Bible. Okay, thank you very much. And thank you for calling. I really appreciate your calling. God bless. Pastor, we have a question that has come in from Montserrat via WhatsApp. Good evening, gentlemen. The lineage of Enoch goes from Noah, Abraham, and a whole list of names, Obed, Jesse, David, Solomon, and so on. Those men were like royal princes. Did these men know that they were the direct lineage of Jesus Christ? 
Well, we don't know if they knew themselves, but we do know this, that the promise was made, the proto-evangelium was made in Genesis 3.15, that God would send the seed of a woman, uh, the Messiah, the seed of a woman to a woman. And we do know that when uh, Eve got her son, uh, she said, I got him of the Lord. She actually thought it, like he was the, the Messiah, to be very honest with you. So I suspect that uh, throughout the history, once God had called Abraham, it became very clear that Abraham was selected by God and that that lineage would, would continue and continue and continue. But whether or not they were aware, uh, I can't speak because the Bible doesn't tell you. The Bible just points out the lineage of the Messiah, how the Messiah would come. And of course, Enoch is in that line that you, you go to, it can be traced down and down. So, uh, but whether they have the information, I really can't say at this point in time. I just don't know. Pastor, what does a person have to do to become a Christian? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Put your faith and trust in Him. Look to Him and Him alone, and the finished work of Christ. And do I have to be confirmed by the church? Confirmation, baptism, and all these other uh, matters, mentoring, discipling, this take place after conversion. They're not conversion itself. After a person is converted, then these are things that go on in a person's life. Thank you for sending in your questions tonight. You can go ahead and send in your questions throughout the week, and we will pick up next week with your questions and also this topic of Bible mysteries. Again, if you want to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268-782-1454. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM, if you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.